Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture is from Genesis 22, 2 through 13. After all this, God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham, yes, answered Abraham, I'm listening. He said, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants and his son Isaac. He had split wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had directed him. On the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham told his two young servants, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. He carried the flint and the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, we have flint and wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said, Son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering. And they kept walking together. They arrived at the place at which God had directed him. Abraham built an altar. He laid out the wood. Then he tied up Isaac and laid him on the wood. Abraham reached out and took the knife to kill his son. Just then, the angel of God called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I'm listening. Don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Abraham looked up. He saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here ends the reading. What would you do? If you were Abraham, what would you do? That is a question that Patrick McCormick would ask his Christian ethics class at the college in which he taught. If you were Abraham, what would you do? If you heard a voice and that voice told you to kill your child, would you obey it? The majority of McCormick's students said no. He asked the second question. If you continued to hear that voice again and again in your mind, what would you do? And their response, I would probably call a psychologist. Those students understood that such a command, such a desire to kill in the name of a devotion to a deity would be insane. 
Yet the text that we are looking at today demands just that. But this text is powerful in that Abraham, the key character, is revered not only by Christianity, but is revered within Judaism and within the Muslim religion. Abraham is the epitome of faith. Abraham is one that we are to follow and revere. And that's where the problem arises, is because the traditional way in which we have interpreted this story of Abraham and Isaac is based upon this idea that that is what is essential. That is the most important thing. But it creates discomfort for us. And so we try to stay even within that traditional realm of interpretation. We still try to make sense and be at peace with that story. There are those who believe that God literally commanded and desired Abraham to kill his only son, Isaac, which, by the way, wasn't his only son. Let's not forget about Ishmael. But they believe that's what God desired. And that's the literal translation, uh, interpretation that we are most uncomfortable with. The other possibility within that traditional realm of interpretation is that God is testing Abraham. God really doesn't want Abraham to, t to kill his child. But when you stop and really think about that, that's outrageous. That, in, that understanding doesn't work. Here you have a God who is requiring and testing someone by doing an unconscionable act, a crime. And the only way you're going to pass that test is if you're willing to do that crime. That idea of God, this interpretation, leaves many people uncomfortable. But even in that discomfort, we continue to hold on to that understanding because this idea that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son is a type of what God is willing to do by sacrificing his son, and then it becomes almost a type for all humans that follow to sacrifice their sons and daughters. Lipman Bodoff says the following, because Abraham is being praised for being prepared to do what we may not do, and because God, the source of all morality, asked Abraham to do what no moral person before or since should ever contemplate, and expected Abraham to obey, this story has remained one of the most difficult texts in the Old Testament. To what? To number one, understand. Number two, justify. And number three, transmit to the next generation. Is it possible, though, that if we were to set aside those traditional interpretations, what if instead we saw this story as a parable? And by parable, what I mean is that the writer has written the parable so that we, the audience, the readers, as we interact with the parable, we begin to pass judgment on one of the characters. 
And when we pass judgment on those characters, in turn, we slowly begin to pass judgment on ourselves. The flaw in that character, the parable points out, is the flaw within our own life. What if we saw this story in Genesis 2 as a parable? A parable on how we ought to protect our children, and in particular, we focused upon this idea as this parable being an anti-war parable. Now, why? Why anti-war parable? I would offer three reasons. Three parallels between the story that we find in Genesis 22 of Abraham and Isaac and the past and present role that war plays within society. Let's see if it works. Number one, war is about sacrifice. It's a sacrificial system. Just as Abraham is called upon to make a sacrifice, war demands a sacrifice. This is so prevalent in the language that we use. When a soldier dies on the battlefield, we call it the ultimate sacrifice. The civilians who are at home, we ask them to make a sacrifice. We are called upon to support the troops so that their sacrifice will have not been in vain. We are to support them while they are at war and even while they are not war. When you think about the eulogies, the festivities that are honoring our veterans and those who have died, when you think about the memorials that we create, prevalent throughout those things is the language of sacrifice. We see war as just that, a sacrifice of our children our sons and daughters on the altar of war. Marvin and Engel wrote an article describing this connection between sacrifice and nationalism. And they describe war as a ritual sacrifice in which an unconscious national society controls and channels the violence within itself, securing its own survival and rebirth by offering up the sacrificial bodies of citizens and enemies slaughtered on the battlefield. Again, hear those key words, securing its own survival and rebirth. So there's the first parallel that we see, that just as Abraham is a part of a sacrificial system, war is seen as a sacrificial system. Number two, devotion. Abraham is called to test his devotion to God. His devotion to God is tested by offering a sacrifice. And if he offers that sacrifice, he will reap 
the benefits, the blessings of such devotion. At the end of this test, God affirms this when He says to Abraham that Abraham has now secured the future of his all generations through him. Abraham's devotion, which led to his willingness to sacrifice his son, secures the safety and the well-being of all future generations. It also promises him that he will find victory over his enemies. And then his devotion will bring about a blessing to all other people. And so Abraham, his devotion to God, allows him to sacrifice his son so that he will experience these blessings along with future generations. The same thing happens when we look at the history of war within humanity. However, our devotion in that arena is not to God. That devotion is to the government, to the nation, to the state. And if we, through our devotion, are willing to be loyal, then we will, in turn, be willing to sacrifice our children so that we, too, can find the benefits and the blessings that come from such devotion. Think about in the history of not only our country, but of our world. War promises us that if we are victorious, that we will be safe, that we will secure our borders, that we will be safe not only now, but for future generations. And that if we are devoted enough and willing to make the sacrifice, then in turn, we will have victory over our enemies. And especially in America, we have this idea that our devotion will eventually lead to where we as a country will be this shining light of democracy throughout the rest of the world. And we are asked not to question, but to remain devoted. Carol Delaney captured the essence of this idea in these words. The faithful or devoted man is one whose faith is in an abstract, transcendent concept that takes precedence over his emotional tie to his children. The unwritten message is that to be faithful, fathers ought to be willing to sacrifice their sons if God or even if a surrogate transcendent authority such as the state demands. If Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, so much more should ordinary fathers be willing. And so by seeing this story as a parable, we begin to see the connections between Abraham and to the situation of war. And just as war is based on a sacrificial system, 
so also there's a parallel in the sense of devotion, requiring that we be devoted to a greater cause than ourselves and even our children. And that brings us to the third parallel, unquestionable obedience. Every time I read the story in Genesis 22 of Abraham, I am amazed that Abraham goes mute. Abraham knows how to talk, God, talk to God. Abraham knows how to call God out, as we looked at last week. Abraham is willing to doubt God. But in this situation, Abraham all of a sudden gets quiet. He sets aside his rational mind, and he strictly just obeys, no questions asked. Today, we see such devotion, so un this unquestioning obedience, when we see it in the religious realm, we see it as being zealots, fanatics. But for Abraham, he is still seen as the epitome of faith. And it's almost as if we too need to have unquestioning obedience to God or to whatever authority it is. Even when it doesn't make sense. And the same thing happens when it comes to war. When a nation, especially here in America, decides to go to war, the majority of citizens fall in line. They don't question it. And if they do, they keep it quiet because then they're seen as being anti-American. David Seitz, in an article, argues that America's citizens have become predisposed by a rhetoric of control to accept without question or complaint their leader's command to sacrifice sons and daughters in all sorts of foreign wars, and that those citizens or sons who reject this rhetoric and sacrifice are seen as unpatriotic cowards. You don't question, you fall in line. Other scholars make the argument that the default position of the vast majority of, now this is really stepping on our toes, of American Christians is to give the government a blank check when it comes to our declarations of war. For our religious convictions are too often and easily trumped by our nationalism. Our religious convictions are too often and easily trumped by our nationalism. Wow. War as a sacrificial system, full devotion, and unquestioning obedience.
Maybe Genesis 22 is a parable for all of humanity, past and present, that we would stop to consider what we're doing. We can be critical of Abraham, but perhaps seeing this text as a parable, the judgment we place upon Abraham may make us pause and place that same judgment upon ourselves and our willingness to continue to sacrifice our children on the altar of war. What if, however, by seeing this parable in this way, we find a sense of clarity and conviction And that conviction motivates us to no longer blindly obey, that we will take the time to examine the evidence. And if there is not sufficient evidence, that we will clamor, that we will, yes, demand the evidence before we will do anything that will put our future children now and in the future in harm's way that we will say no more. We will not freely offer up our children. Imagine if seeing the story as a parable would make us prioritize our children. Instead of sacrificing, we would protect them. We're seeing that right now. I think about this. In 2019, 15% of the federal budget went to defense of our country. 2% went to education. Now, I understand that states are primarily responsible for public education. But if you look at even the state level, education continues to have a less than stellar priority within all the demands of our money. Maybe this parable is teaching us not only that we will not offer our children on this altar of war, but we will not sacrifice our children's education. And especially right now during COVID-19. I listened to my daughters as they debate in their mind the pros and cons of sending their children back to school. And I think about our own church members and those within the larger community that are wrestling through this, weighing the pros and cons. Some of them don't even have a choice. Imagine what would happen if we would just take 1% of that money that we use on defense in, in war, and we moved it into education. That we would put a stimulus package out there that would create the environment and the material that are, is needed to make not only the children safe, but our teachers safe. This parable 
can teach us that, that we need to protect and prioritize our children in areas, especially in the area of war, but also in the, oh, so many different areas. What would happen if you and I would make a stand and say, enough? Eleanor Wilner imagines such a possibility. When she wrote a poem entitled, Sarah's Choice, and in that poem, she imagines what would have happened if Sarah had stopped Abraham by leaving him, saying enough. The voice of the prophet grows shrill. He will read even defeat as a sign of distinction until pain itself becomes holy. In that day, how shall we tell the victims from the saints, the torturers from the agents of God? But mother, said Isaac, if we were not God's chosen people, what then should we be? I'm afraid of being nothing. And Sarah laughed. And then she reached out her hand, Isaac, I am going now before Abraham awakes, before the sun, to find Hagar the Egyptian and her son, whom I cast out, drunk on pride, God's promises, the seed of Abraham, in my own late-blooming loins. But Ishmael, said Isaac, how should I greet him? As you greet yourself, she said, when you bend over the well to draw water and you see your image, not knowing it reversed, you must know your brother now or you will see your own face looking back the day you're at each other's throats. Sarah wrapped herself in a thick, dark cloak against the desert's enmity, and tying up her stylus, bowl, some dates, a gourd for water, she swung her bundle on her back and reached out once more toward Isaac. It's time, she said, choose now. It's time. It's time for us to choose now. how we will see our children now and in the future, that we will stop this cycle of offering up our children on the altar of war. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.